I thought, okay, you know, I've got enough under my belt here that I think I can hit the big smoke. <laughs> I mean, when I look back on that, oh my God. The goal is to still make great radio. Put in the time. Do the work. I associated laughing with radio, and that's kind of why I always wanted to be a part of it. In this business, we forget just how great it is. This is the Off Mic Podcast, a radio show about radio life. This week on the show, it's Shirley McQueen on 95.7 Cruise FM. When was the first time that a career in radio sort of entered your thought process? Oh, my goodness. Well, I managed to land a job as receptionist at CKTV for the Hill family for Harvard back in, I want to say, 1982. And I did that for a couple of years. And I had a TV on my desk, of course, at the TV station. And the local uh, Rolco radio station, which was CJME at the time, do you remember Harry Decker doing the morning show? Probably not. I don't remember it, but I have heard that name here in Regina a few times for sure. Well, he wanted somebody to do like quick one-minute hits on what happened the previous day on the two most popular soap operas. The two sales reps from CKTV and from CJME were having lunch one day, and this the CJME sales rep mentioned this to the sales rep from CK, who said, well, why don't we ask Shirley? She's got a TV on her desk. She can phone in every morning. And so that was my first taste of doing any kind of on-air performance for radio, you know. I hit it off just gangbusters with the then-program director, Jeff Steele was his name at CJME Regina. We had such a great rapport that he offered me a job to come over and be the programming and music department secretary at CJME and Z99, the local FM, had just come online as well. So I wound up being the music department secretary, and I was still doing the hits with Harry in the morning on the soap opera thing. Were you at least a soap opera fan, or was this something you had to go out of your way for? <laughs> no, I actually did watch. It was General Hospital and Another World. So my one hit wonders in the morning on the Harry Decker Morning Show on CJME led Jeff and, and his partner on the FM side, Mike McNaughton, to offer me a gig doing the overnights on Z99. So that was my first taste of radio. I kind of just worked my way in through the side door, you know. I was having a, a lot of experience with the music department, just basically doing all the administrative stuff, but it gave me a handle on how music is programmed, etc. And, you know, of course, all the producers would, every time they needed a scream or a female voice here or a couple of lines there, they'd drag me into the booth. So just uh, led to that all-night show, and I did overnights on Z99 for, I want to say, less than a year. This Yeah, because now it was about the end of 1984. And I thought, okay, that's it. You know, I'm experienced. I'm hitting the big time. I'm going to Toronto. <laughs> Me and my girlfriend, Karina Holunga, we just decided, oh, well, let's do it. Let's go to Toronto. We can get a job. In November of 84, I took a week and I went to Toronto and stayed with a friend I knew who had moved there a couple of years earlier. Sent out a bunch of demos and a bunch of resumes and, you know, just cold called people and tried to get a gig. I didn't wind up flying back with a gig, but it just felt really, really like such a great time to make a move like that. Everything felt like it, there was a real forward momentum. Things were happening. Toronto was blossoming and there was all sorts of opportunity, you know. I got back at the end of 84 and my girlfriend and I packed up and I sold my 72 Monte Carlo, which I still miss. Love that car. 1200 bucks in my pocket. My girlfriend Karina and I hit Toronto in January of 85. So I just yeah. want to talk about the overnight show for a little bit, because your first taste, you said, was was basically being on a feature hosted by somebody else and, and sort of talking about things that you'd seen on TV. 
Once you yeah. get to the overnight show, now it's just you. Did it feel different? Did it feel odd that first couple times where you just had to go on and present an entire show by yourself? Absolutely, of course, because, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing in terms <laughs> of performance. And I think I got maybe a couple hours instruction on the board from the guy who I took over from, that who was obviously right. in a hurry to get out of there because he was probably had a hot date and, you know, we wanted to leave at his regular 11 p.m. time and he had to train this new girl. <laughs> so I got maybe an hour of training on the board. Baptism by fire in, in those days, you could sort of still squeak in that way. Nowadays, of course, that's impossible because there's dozens of radio broadcasting schools all popping out grads every term, right? So there's so many people who are well-versed in radio and, and the industry demands it now, right? If, if you want to be a radio host, you really do have to have the schooling and the jobs are so much fewer and far between. Back in the mid-80s, it was every radio station in every small, medium, and large market had 24-hour air shifts. So, you know, they were looking for the bodies, right? You could still just uh, walk in and be crazy and, and ask if you could host an overnight show and you'd get the job kind of thing, right? Yeah, there are zero overnight shows in Regina right now, so that's yeah. definitely changed. I'm not even sure they exist anywhere anymore, even in the big markets, you know? Very few of them. I think X929 is one that I know of that has an overnight show. I'm, I'm trying to think of other ones, but you're right. I, I, I'm yeah. totally coming up blank here. Obviously, though, you became comfortable with the position because <laughs> it led you to want to travel all the way across the country. About how long would you say it took doing that overnight show before it really clicked for you? Like, this is not just something I'm doing to kill time. This is what I want to do for good. You know, I knew pretty well out of the gate that, man, this is fantastic, right? Like, I could really sink my teeth into this. But, of course, I was still terrified and still learning, and the curve was great. But, you know, like I said, that was 1984. And by the end of the year, I thought, okay, you know, I've got enough under my belt here that I think I can hit the big smoke. <laughs> I mean, when I look back on that, oh my God, what gravitas I had, what hubris, right? Oh, oh, it's something that nobody should ever try in 2020 <laughs> to just leave their job and go to the biggest market in the country and just be like, all right, who wants me? Like it's a dodgeball team tryout. But, you know, steal my lunch and call me hungry. It worked. You know, <laughs> I managed to fake it till you make it like they say, right? So I didn't back down from anything and I kind of just waltzed in and put my best face forward and managed to get a gig like within three weeks of arriving in Toronto. A mutual friend of mine who was living there already in town I went over to have a have a cocktail with him, and he knew that the local station there, it was called MTV, but only because it was CFMTV. And they were a local uh, television station that was owned by one of the city's Italian entrepreneurs. And so he really promoted the local ethnic communities, and there was a, several local visible minorities that had weekend morning shows and stuff, gardening and any number of things. And they had on-air daily live video mix of a show, and that's where Samantha Taylor got her start before she jumped to CBC's video hits. After she left and went to CBC, then it was a guy named Jonathan Grossman, who he was a bit more of a music journalist, and uh, he hosted it for a while, and then that went south somehow. My 
friend David had heard through the grapevine that they were looking for a new male-female co-host, a duo for this, this daily video thing. And so I got the guy's name, the producer, Vince Alexander, and went in and auditioned, and I got the job. I was just thrilled, tickle pink. And my co-host, his name is Joel Goldberg, and he's gone on to a fantastic career in television in Toronto. So to get my start with Joel was just thrilling because I knew this guy's talented, right? He just a smart whip of a guy. So the two of us start out hosting this live video countdown, and we were opposite a show that was really huge in the ratings in Toronto on City TV. It was called Toronto Rocks, also live, also like a video countdown show, and it was hosted by Brad Geffen. We had our work cut out for us, but we were kind of the little engine that could, you know? We had great fun doing that show, but, you know, like so many things, it blew up too, so I want to say it lasted about three months, four months. Actually, March through July, and then, no, we don't want to do it anymore. (laughs) So... I'm out of a gig, and I remember one of the last shows, I I walk out of the studio, and I'm walking back down to my office, and I get down to my desk, and there's a note, Gary Slate wants you to call him from Q107. I'm like, holy crap, really? I call Gary Slate, and I'm like, hi, it's Shirley McQueen, and he's like, hey, you know, I'm I'm, I'm looking for uh, an overnight host, do you want to come in and and have a chat? (laughs) I think I started, you know, I had to put my head between my knees, I think. I'm glad it was no video phone back then. (laughs) And I was able to stumble the words out, yes, absolutely, (laughs) and managed to uh, get a meeting with Gary and went over and sat in with him, and we hit it off right away. I think, again, he kind of liked my chutzpah, you know, I, I presented as, like, I'm up for anything, and I wound up getting this gig with Gary Slade on Q107, and at the time, Bob Makowitz was the program director. Bob was also the music director, and he and John Derringer were the host of the 6 O'Clock Rock Report at the time, which had the biggest ratings in terms of a rock, live guests and musicians. So we had everybody who was coming through town to play into the station for the Rock Report, from Robert Plant to Brian Adams, all the big names, Roger Waters. I remember meeting Gene Simmons from Kiss, and everybody who was anybody came through the 6 O'Clock Rock Report. And I walked into this stable of these amazing amazing, talented people. And so then I started learning from them too, right? When you're surrounded by that kind of talent, you're soaking it all up like a sponge. So I managed to hold my own and and when things kind of shifted around, worked my way up the ladder a little bit. So those were heady days, those early days. What was the biggest difference between overnights at Z99 in Regina to <laughs> overnights at Q107 in Toronto? For one thing, the view. Overnights at Z99 in Regina, we were in that building at Sass Drive along Albert there, and our one little window overlooked the parking lot of the Empire Hotel. Yeah, they're and, still there. Uh, <laughs> and in Toronto, Q107 was on the 30th floor of the Manulife Tower at the corner of Young and Bloor overlooking downtown and Lake Ontario. <laughs> So that was one real plus. I liked that a lot, yeah. Nowadays, a lot of people worry about trying to get people to call into their shows because of distracted driving laws. Like, everybody's got a phone in their pocket, but no one's allowed to use it. In the 80s, obviously, the cell phone wasn't prevalent because it wasn't a thing yet. 
Did you get a lot of people that would still give you a call in the overnight show? Were you able to work in a lot of callers? Oh, absolutely. If anything, it was even more so than today. Because like you say, people nowadays are listening and their phones in their pockets, but they're driving. But back then, it was all landlines. So people were in their homes listening to, especially the overnight show. You are listening while you're sitting stationary in your home or at a friend's or what have you. So whenever I put the call out for any kind of a you know interactive bit or anything like that, that, yeah, certainly you'd, you'd get, like, my phone rack would just populate right now. And a lot of times, too, those kinds of listeners were, they were listening to you much more intently because a lot of times shut-ins or people who are socially challenged, you know, where you become their lifeline to the outside world and they feel like they know you intimately because I'm talking about myself and my life and my friends. So they feel like you're one of their only friends almost, right? Or a best friend to a large degree. Whereas I don't know them from Adam, but you can't, you know, you have to make people feel like the friendship is something real and authentic, right? In order to maintain a, a rapport with people, right? Well, yeah, if they if they feel like the friendship goes both ways, they're much more likely to want to keep calling the show. Of course. And, of course, keep listening. And, you know, my job is to uh, increase the numbers for sure. <laughs> and you said there was a bit of a, a shift, a bit of a change up, and that meant that you got out of the wee hours. Where did you end up after that? Well, you know, like a fool, again, I still had aspirations for television. And back in the day, there was about a year after I joined Q107 in July of 85, they launched the first permutation of the Life Channel. And it was a local, you know, it was based in Toronto head office. So I applied for some show. I can't even remember what it was, frankly, and got the job. And when I told Gary that I was making the jump back to television, he was like, oh, you're really sure you want to do this? Well, you know, looking back, obviously he knew something. <laughs> I didn't. It was too stone to comprehend. <laughs> Life Channel had been on the air, I think, for like a year or two already. And uh, when I heard about this show, I applied for it. So when I walk in to quit, he's like, well, tell you what, you know what, I'm, I'm still going to need swing help on the weekends here at Q. So, you know, you can follow your dreams, go get this show. But, you know, can you just stick around and be my pinch hitter on the weekend swing show? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. That's what I did. And um, of course, inside of about eight weeks after <laughs> I quit oh, no. this TV job, the Life Channel folds. Ooh. So now I'm out of a gig and I'm just like, oh man, when I thought back on that conversation with Gary Slade, I thought, yeah, he knew. Couldn't tell me, obviously, but anyway, so I called Gary again and told him, oh, here I am out of a gig again. He said, well, you know, come on back and I can throw you however many shifts a week I can. I think it was three or four he was throwing me. But he said, I have to be honest, I'm in the midst of selling Q107 to WIC. Western International Communications, based out of Vancouver. I came back to Q107, but just as Gary Slate was moving out, stepping aside. And so we got taken over by the Griffith family. I got a new program director, general manager team in the form of Don Schaefer. Schaefer, they called him. I met him in the elevator going up. I'm like, hi, I'm Shirley. He's like, oh, hi, I'm your new GM. I'm Don Schaefer. Schaefer. I'm like, cool. And I'm like, you know, I'm doing the overnights and I'm, you know, grateful and happy to be there. But, you know, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about any opportunity that you might be thinking of for changes. So we sat down in his office and he offered me the evening show. Well, that worked out. That was a lucky elevator ride. <laughs> I know. 
In 87, I started full-time evenings at Q107, and I kept doing them for the next seven years. It was actually a, a godsend because I, I'm just not that nocturnal type of person. Like I say, I was grateful to have a job, but I was so glad to move out of the overnights. I mean, one of the best things was I followed Derringer and Mako now uh, with the rock reports. So I was there for all those great artists that came through. It was such a great time. I've got some old photos, but I could kick myself for not managing to get all the photos that got taken. You know, and in those days, everybody kind of partied with everybody, the photographers and the radio people and the TV people and the record people and the club people. It was just such a great flowering of the city of Toronto in terms of culture and art and music and sports was just on the rise. So it was such a great culturally, the vibe in the city was just one of momentum and everybody was having a good time and everybody partied with everybody. We went to everything. The great thing about moving into the evening show was definitely being around for the rock reports because I was there doing show prep for that whole show, you know? And just being around during the day, it was much... easier to see people and talk to people. We had such a great team there. What a gas those days were. I went through eight program directors at Q107 in my in my time there. I was there from 85 basically, if you don't count that short stint at the Life Death <laughs> Channel. <laughs> I was there from July of 85 until July of 1998. And in that time, Gary Slate, Standard Broadcasting, sold to Wick, uh, who brought in Shafe, then Don Schaefer appointed Gary Obi program director. And then Gary Obi, he left. He went back out east. He's a maritimer. Joey Vendetta was now on board. Andy Frost was there. You may know the name Andy Frost. Gary hired Andy Frost from Winnipeg about three months after me in 85. So Andy had been, you know, around for a while and was doing, he wound up doing the afternoon drive show after Derringer left. Now we're owned by Shaw, who created a radio division called Chorus. And it was Chorus who started this overnight syndicated show on all the Chorus stations. And Andy Frost was the first host of Overnight with Andy Frost. And Scruff Connors came back into the picture on Andy's two off nights. Oh, my God. And there was this bar right across the street. And I recall (laughs) Scruff comes in one night, you know, 10 p.m. And I was off, I can't remember, 11, I think. I'm just walking out and Scruff comes charging towards me and shepherd hooks me through the arm and says, come on, Cheryl, we're going across the street for some drinks. But don't you have a, a radio show? He's like, oh yeah, don't worry. I got the first couple hours in the can. Come on. That sounds like a Connors. So I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and so we, we go across the street to the bar, have a couple of drinks and Scruff is just crazy Scruff telling outrageous stories about his days in radio. And then I'm like, Scruff, you better like take it easy, man. He's pounding drinks back. He, he's still got a radio show to do, you know? Eventually, I, I, I made him go back to the radio station. And, and um, next morning, I get a phone call. Somebody needed something at the radio station from me. And they're like, did you hear about Scruff? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, he had a heart attack last night doing a show. I guess there were paramedics here and everything. Oh, no. <laughs> So I'm like, what the hell? Are you kidding me? I was like, oh, my God. 
Oh, just the things that happened there. Hey, it's Grant with Pippin Technical Service. As we begin to realistically look at the return of sports, there's obviously a lot of questions popping up as to how that may roll out. Will there be fans? How will the broadcasts look? Will crews even be allowed on site? Will the broadcast teams be ready for anything? At Pippin, we've been handling audio over IP for broadcasts since it first debuted in the early 2000s with Axia Livewire. If you need audio to the rink, from the rink, we've got you covered. Need intercom? Telos Infinity builds on the shoulders of Axial Livewire and offers a matrix-free solution you can spread over a number of sites over distances and still be linked together. What kind of distances? Well, the dev team we deal with is in Cleveland, England, and California, and it's a simple push-to-talk to reach any of those sites. Consider this. Your comms fly pack can be nothing more than a belt pack and a router. Giving a unit to on-air talent? The same belt pack can be used for comms and contribution. They can even use their favorite three or five pin dynamic headset with an adapter. For more on Infinity, head to our website and drop us a line anytime. You'll find us at pippintechnical.com. We build broadcast. So then we get a brand new management team. There was some stuff that went down that I, I'm not even sure all the moving parts were so clandestine. But our management team got shuffled out and we wound up. Q107 Toronto, and by now we've got uh, AM640, our sister station. The Hamilton Cluster took us over, and that included Don Lucy, who was our new GM, and Danny Kingsbury was our new PD. Danny was a great guy. He's uh, he's head of Rogers in the Ottawa region right now. So learned a, a lot from Danny, but uh, one of the great travesties in radio happened on, on that watch, and that was th- these guys decided it would be a fantastic idea to have Q107. At the time, my evening ratings were like triple my next closest competitor, and that would have been Chum FM. These guys decide, why don't we start broadcasting the Maple Leaf games on Q107? Everybody's like, this is not a good idea. But they had sold the package to Molson already, the sponsor. And so Q107 starts broadcasting evening Maple Leaf hockey. Well, it was a freaking disaster, you know. In <laughs> retrospect, I wondered if they weren't really on the payroll with the competition because that destroyed us. We had the best evening numbers forever. But by then, I moved to midday. At least they kept you around. That's the good thing. Now, you've gone through at this point in this one building to ownership groups, numerous program directors, and these are all the kind of changes that nowadays, if you're working in oh. a station and it gets bought by a new company, everybody's butthole puckers up. Like, everybody gets yeah. super terrified. Even a new program director can be a very jarring experience in current modern radio. What was the culture like at Q107 going through those different changes over the years? Did they manage to kind of keep it status quo, or did you feel like you had to adapt? a measured amount of adaptation to be sure because of course anytime an ownership change happens you know like you say there is kind of a cultural shift and anytime you get a new program director of course he or increasingly she not fast enough for for my taste but increasingly so but uh, unfortunately for me i uh, i have not had the chance to work under a female pd yet anytime a new pd is in place of course they want to put their mark on the station because they've got something to prove of course they're usually trying to get those numbers up well always trying to get those numbers up you know and trying to 
make their mark. Thankfully, I managed to swim my way through all those shark-infested waters for all those PDs and all those years, like you say. By the time my last three years at Q107, from 95 to 98, or maybe it was 96 to 98, I did the midday show. So not only did the Kingsbury Lutze duo bring in Maple Leaf Hockey, they were also the ones who brought the syndicated Howard Stern morning show in from New York. So my midday show now, I was actually following Howard Stern. So I had pretty good midday numbers because everybody kind of wanted to check out Howard Stern. But they eventually kind of just leveled off. Stern kind of has a shtick, you know. And he would only break for commercials once an hour. We would have these, like, 12-minute commercial clusters. Yikes. Yeah, once an hour. So you got a lot of tuning out during those commercial clusters, right? But, you know, that was kind of another whole shift. Or maybe it was Cardinal that brought in Howard Stern, because eventually Lutzi and Kingsbury are now gone, and uh, the management team brought in uh, Pat Cardinal, the late, great Pat Cardinal program director, who... Changed our moniker, which, again, I thought, bad idea. We were always Toronto's best rock, Q107. And Cardinal, wanting to make his mark, wanting to put his own mark on things, changed it to pure rock, Q107. Which we were like, okay, that was a heritage handle. They've changed it back since. So now we're pure rock, Q107. And yeah, maybe it was Cardinal who decided to bring in Howard Stern. And then Jeff Woods arrived back as our program director. Jeff and I had started about the same time back in the mid-80s at Q107 and uh, had grown up at Q107 together. He eventually started a record store in downtown Toronto and then uh, got in and out of radio for the longest time, came back. And then I went out to Vancouver, Pat Cardinal and Ross Winters. I later learned that Pat was looking at making a change in the midday shift where I I was doing my show. And so here we go. You know, in radio, you'll always get fired, right? I learned later that he didn't want to be saddled with the severance I would have been owed because I'd been at the station for 14 years. So he convinced Ross Winters in Vancouver to offer me weekend swing because I was doing a lot of acting at the time too. I was always training as an actor in the 90s in Toronto and my agent, my best friend in Vancouver was an agent so she was trying to get me to move out to Vancouver but I was reluctant. Well, Pat found this out and so he convinced Ross to offer me weekend morning swing on Rock 101, the chorus affiliate in Vancouver, knowing that I'd probably take the gig because of my acting aspirations and my friend wanting me out there. So that's exactly what happened. I didn't realize Pat was pulling these strings behind the scenes. But anyway, I landed on my feet and I kept my my uh, chorus package. Like I kept my benefit package, even though I was just moving out to Vancouver to do Weekend Swing. Brother Jake was instrumental in that, too. We had remained close. And he was doing Weekend Morning Swing at Rock 101 Vancouver. And they were moving him into the morning show, the weekday morning show. Which he so was amazing he, at. Oh, he was just the best. And so I had a great five-year run in Vancouver. Vancouver at the Chorus Affiliate at Rock 101. And oh, it was just a great team. And we had so much fun in Vancouver. And I had moved there at the behest, like I said, of Ross Witters, the PD, who heads up the Jim Pattison Group, brand director, if you want, I believe it's called, 
for uh, Jim Pattison Group, the peak stations, you know. Ross convinced me to come out and do the morning show. When I was leaving Q107, I had become engaged to my technical producer that the Kingsbury guys a few years earlier had given us all at Q107 in Toronto money to hire technical producers, board ops, right? This is when money was flowing, obviously. (laughs) So I had hired Christian Hall. We worked the evening shift together, and then he would jump in his car and hightail it to Hamilton, where he was doing the overnight show on what was then Y95. And we eventually became an item, became engaged. And so when it was time to move to Vancouver, I was like, well, what what am I going to do? I've got this fiancé. And he's doing these overnight shows, and he's my tech producer. And Ross Winters was like, okay, bring him along. We'll throw him some shit. (laughs) (laughs) So myself and my fiancé, Christian Hall, in 1998, we moved out to Vancouver. Christian, inside of about three months, he's the assistant music director underneath Ross. And inside of two years, he was APD MD for Rock 101 because he's smart as a whip, and him and Ross just get along like a house on fire. Which was a good thing, because inside of a couple of years there, I was pregnant with our first son, Sam. This was 2000 now. Sam was born in January 2001. So now I'm off on mat leave. Christian's career is on fire, and Chorus is looking for a new PD for Power 97 in Winnipeg. We decide, yeah, that's the best move for Christian. So now, because I'm... I've got a baby and I'm on that leave. Now I'm following Christian's career. So we hightail it from Vancouver in December to Winnipeg. I'm going to go back to what I said about the lease thing. Oof. (laughs) (laughs) So true. But you know what? We arrive in Winnipeg. The Power 97 music director and assistant PD at the time was Lachlan Cross. And he and his wife, Deborah, we became great friends with them, did everything together. And I wasn't planning on going back to work because here I had this young baby and we were brand new to Winnipeg. But Canwest Global at the time, the Asper family and Izzy Asper were all there in Winnipeg at the head office for Canwest Global. They were just launching their very first radio station. I got the call to interview for the morning show, which I got. (laughs) And so now I've got a brand new baby and I'm getting up in the dead of winter and we launched this jazz station. They commissioned this six-figure U.S. consulting agency to design and launch this smooth jazz station. It must have taken millions and probably more than two years by the time they got the license and everything. So, you know, I was one of the final pegs in the board in place just weeks before the launch. And it was the, well, I've got the little mic right here. It was going to be 99.1 Cool FM, C-O-O-L. And we launched at 6 p.m. February 28, 2003. Well, on February 23rd, Izzy Asper announced that He was pulling the plug on this smooth jazz. Nothing was what he envisioned. It was all going to be different. Everything from logos to the playlist. I mean, you name it. It was the Monday before the Friday launch. And we were all just gobsmacked. And the GM was immediately out. Everyone's running around like chickens, right? Izzy wanted, I guess he had this basement full of vinyl, jazz, and was a great supporter of jazz and jazz artists. He wanted to play the great American playlist and not repeat a single song for a year. (laughs) I'll tell you, Drew, I could write a great movie script about the, I think I spent 
six weeks there following the launch. <laughs> we did try hard. <laughs> no, it was about three months, I think, I got let go in June after Ross Porter came over from the CBC. Ross Porter had been at the CBC forever. Izzy commissioned him to come over and try and save his jazz station. Ross Porter was a big, big jazz guy, so Ross let me and the promotions director. I was one of about three or four people that got let. I think the PD, George and myself and the promotions director, we all got let go on the same day in June of that year of 2003. Oh my God, it was just it, up. I could write such a great movie about that. <laughs> it sounds like quite the roller coaster, and especially because, oh like God. you said, you hadn't come to Winnipeg to pursue your own career. This was Christian had an opportunity you guys couldn't say no to. You just had Sam. You were yeah. looking to sort of be the supportive wife slash mom, and you get kind of pulled back in by the lure of a morning show. <laughs> Only to go through the twilight zone. Oh, geez, it was the twilight zone. And I think I will write about it one of these days. <laughs> so I started, I, I went into chorus again, my old alma mater, where Christian was the PD at the at the FM at Power 97. Uh, they were looking for a weekend news anchor for uh, CJOB, the news talk giant there in Winnipeg. And so I started training on the Burley system, and I think I got one weekend newscast under my belt when chorus asked Christian if he wanted to make the jump to Calgary, where the chorus station at the time in 2004 was called the Peak 107. But they wanted to change formats and change it up. And would Christian come on board and uh, make the change? And what should we do? And what should we call it? It was Christian that came up with, well, it's got the same dial position as Q107 Toronto. Why don't we make it Q107 Calgary and be a classic rock so that's what we did. We went to Calgary, and now it's end of 2003. We make the jump to Calgary and launch Q107 Calgary. Then I got pregnant with our daughter Lily there and had her at the beginning of 2005. Then within about a year, Kristen and I split, and uh, I had been looking for a position in Calgary, just not really trying, but uh, just thinking about, you know, maybe doing it, uh, getting a job. But uh, things just weren't working out, and then we split. So I decided, best scenario, just to take my two small kids and move home to Regina to be with family. So that's what I did. That was not a good time in my life. I was upset. My marriage was ending. My mom was dying. My mom died that summer. So really tough period right there. I arrived back in Regina on Halloween of that year. I did some holiday fill-in at the Astral Station, the country station. At the time, it was called Big Dog. I'm not sure. Is it still called Big, Big Dog? No, the uh, Bell just flipped all their country sticks to uh, to pure country, of, of all oh. things. Going back to your Q107 rebrand, now it's pure country. <laughs> That's funny. So I did some holiday relief on Christmas in 2006 there. Ended up getting a TV job, back to TV, at CBC Regina, where they were looking for a host of a daytime lifestyle 1 p.m. show. There were nine of them across the country. They were called the Living Shows. So I was the host of Living Saskatchewan, back working now. When I really, again, I wasn't really planning, especially this really demanding television job where we shot usually two stories and a sequence of either one or two host segments for the, I think it was a half hour. So it was a jam-packed 
packed day. And then, of course, I'm on TV again, so I've got to look good. I've got wardrobe. I've got makeup. I've got, oh, my God, that was so hard because the kids were so young. I was still nursing Lily. It was just such a demanding schedule. I was running out of gas. But I ended up hosting two seasons of that before I found out that Jack FM Back to the Rollinsons, back to working for Ronco Radio, my original alma mater. <laughs> they were looking for a female co-host for the morning show on Jack FM Regina. Right back and to looking out over that Empire parking lot. <laughs> well, thank God by now we were a couple of blocks away. We were down on Saskatchewan Drive in that new building that Ronco has. Right back there, just a couple of blocks away, working for Ronco Radio again. So I became the news anchor and female co-host to the Tim Shirley and Woody show at Jack FM Regina for 2008-2009. And, oh, my God, those guys were so fun to work with. Woody is such a talented writer. Tim, just great timing, great instincts with Woody's writing and the bits he came up with. And then I like to think I had some input as well. <laughs> um, we had so much fun doing that morning show. I missed that morning show a lot at Jack FM Regina for those couple of years. There's a large part of me that regrets that I, I left that trio. It was so much fun to work at that station again. And it must have been really helpful, too, with two young kids to be back in a city that you had roots in, that you knew people in, that could help you out so that you could, because mornings are demanding. You, I mean, yeah, you got two co-hosts, but you got to carry your share of the weight. So, you know, it must have been really helpful to be back in Regina for you. I had family there. And like you say, because of the demands of a morning show, and I was a single parent, I ended up recruiting and bringing a nanny over from the Philippines. I helped my nanny, Lorraine, immigrate over from the Philippines because I needed somebody there when I left at 4.30. There was nobody but me. So I had to have somebody in the house, you know, wound up with Lorraine, who helped me through that first couple of years. Christian's still back in Calgary. He's always been a dedicated dad. And so he was making the Calgary Regina drive every six to eight weeks, that eight-hour long stretch one way, eight-hour long stretch back again. And it just became so burdensome. So we started throwing around ideas of how to get me back in Calgary and what opportunities there might be there. Because by now, Christian had made the jump from Chorus, Q107 Calgary, to Harvard. They had recruited him. Ironically, again, a Regina-based company <laughs> had recruited Christian in Calgary to launch their X929. And so Christian was doing gangbusters in Calgary. So it just made more sense for me to bring the kids back there. I applied for a few gigs here and there and, and backwards and sideways, but always seemed to come in like second or third. But eventually, Kristen said, well, we've applied for this license in Edmonton, and the station I work for now was originally launched in, I want to say 2009, as an alternative rocker here called The Sound 95.7. That was July, because The Sound... By Christmas time, 2010, six months in, barely five, six months in, the sound is not gaining traction at all because Sonic is so powerful here. And there's a couple of other stations similar that are also pretty uh, heritage stations. So the sound wasn't gaining any traction. But Kristen got word that light, that, what station now? It was the light rocker. It was like easy. Yeah, Easy Rock 104.9. I was on their street team for a little bit, and I remember they had... Go an absolute chokehold on their demographic yeah. and and i i don't think i met a single person when that 
change got announced that they were going to Virgin who had a differing opinion from, wait, what? Maple Leaf Hockey on Q107 Toronto? <laughs> Oof. You mean, yeah, so 104.9 gives up their massive female 2554 easy listening music station numbers to uh, Virgin. So Christian, right from the get-go, once he got wind of that back in like early fall of 2010, was like, we got to change over to, to like a light rocker right now. As the moment, like, we should do it right now, but not a day after they flip. And it just took him so... He, he couldn't convince upper management because, of course, we had just launched the sound. And right. I say we, I wasn't there yet. But they had launched the sound and the budget, you know, the money and the logos and the everything, right? They were like, we're going to flip from the sound. And, of course, all the staff they hired were all, like, modern rockers and club going and, you know, all, like, 20 and 30-somethings, right? And loving their modern rocker. Well... Easy flips to Virgin in February of 2011. And the Harvard management is still dragging their heels on doing anything about grabbing that light audience. They finally agree, okay, let's do it. But six weeks later, so we, that's when they say, well, why don't we hire Cheryl to come to Edmonton to post the middays on our new light 95.7. So that precipitated my move to Edmonton to come and then be the midday host in 2011. I moved here June of 2011. But we missed the boat, basically, because, again, now we couldn't gain traction with light because the listening audience of Easy had three months before the flip to find their new favorite radio station. So missed that boat. So now we're just playing catch up again with Light 95.7 for the first four years I was here from 2011 to 2015. And by then the decision was made to flip to um, a successful format called 95.7 Cruise FM, which our station in Saskatoon had started this. Andy Ross, our PD there, it's kind of a, you know, a classic hit, basically classic rock hit. It was doing gangbusters in Saskatoon. So that's why we made the decision to flip Light 95.7 to 95.7 Cruise FM. Happy to say, doing really well now. We're, uh, we're number one in a lot of demographics, especially men 25-54, which is, uh, you know, demo everybody wants. So, yeah, we're, we're finally doing the, the talent that actually hosts a lot of our day parts. Very great justice. Like Lachlan Cross, I'm back working with Lachlan. He's our morning show host here, along with Grant Johnson and James White, the three of them. Those guys have one of the best morning shows in the country. Uh, I say that with great confidence because I bounce around and I listen to all the morning shows I can, like I say, when I'm up at 4.30 in the morning. And uh, yeah, the the locker room, they call it, uh, here on the Cruise FM Edmonton, it's one of the best in the country. So great fun to have that momentum. And then our midday show host is Derek Allen. I follow in drive. I remember talking to Christian once because uh, I work for a Harvard station here in Regina and I, I talked to him about, you know, what what my future might look like at Harvard Broadcasting, obviously you know, aspirations for mornings. And I remember he said, well, if you're waiting for mornings, you're probably going to be waiting a while because I got Shauna and Beckler down at X and they're great. And uh, well, I'm not getting rid of the locker room for you. And, and I knew that he <laughs> meant it with all the love in the world. <laughs> Christian is very direct. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Most people who know him will tell you if, they, if he's nothing else, he's very direct. <laughs> so you have gone from working at a front desk watching soap operas on a on a small TV 
breaking into the business, traveling to every corner of it, and now you're back in Edmonton. You're, you've been there for a solid nine-year chunk. There's no end in sight at this point. What insight does someone who's had the wild ride of a career that you have had, what, what do you say to people who are, are looking at maybe getting into radio school this fall that, that want to start on their own endeavor? Well, be prepared. Like Kristen told you, be prepared for hard work, the dead-end shifts at first, moving around small markets. You're not going to start off in the large markets. You're not even going to start off most of the time in medium markets. You know, it's going to be small markets. Because like I said earlier, there's so many radio broadcasting courses now, thousands across the country, just pumping out grads with great aspirations two terms a year, you know, some more than that. And so there's all these bodies that are fighting after increasingly shrinking job opportunities because, you know, media now, the major companies have bought up all the stations. Whereas before, if you didn't get along with someone or, or you didn't get along with a number of people even, it was no big deal because there was thousands of jobs across the country. Every station had a, you know, there were clusters of ownership, of course, but there was all sorts of independently run stations. And you could get a job. But nowadays, of course, they're owned by, I want to say, a handful, six major companies. There's a few independents, not very many. If you piss that one guy off, well, there's only about, you know, six national brand directors, national program directors who control all the radio stations. The bottleneck in terms of management those are your choices now, and those are the people you got to please. And, of course, they all know one another because they're always at Canadian Music Week and broadcast conferences together. They all know one another, and they all talk, and they're all, for the most part, friends. You know, you keep your enemies closer than your friends in many cases. <laughs> so, so, you know, they all talk amongst one another. So the thing is to, to be honest you know, don't try and play any one program director or brand director off the other guy. You should always go into any situation thinking they know one another well and they talk, right? And they get wind of stuff right now because everybody talks. So be honest about your aspirations because if you are, they'll want to help you get there, right? And they'll coach and guide you on how to do that. Be honest with each other, with with your coworkers. Uh, show up, do the work, because that guy who's, you know, like, for instance, in Toronto at Q107, when Andy Frost was doing the syndicated overnight show back in the early 90s, his technical producer, the board op, was Julie Adams. She's gone and on to do some stuff. She's gone on to do some stuff, right? <laughs> so, you know, when I first met Julie, she was the board op for the overnight show, and she's now senior VP for Rogers Radio. So... Treat everyone with respect, whether they're bringing you a coffee or whether they're senior VP. Because that person bringing you a coffee could very well be your senior VP down the road. And show up and do the work and be prepared to not make a lot of money early on. People hear the salaries of these radio morning people and think everybody makes that. <laughs> well, the only reason they can pay a handful of those guys that kind of money is because everybody else makes shit. Right? <laughs> And so, you know, you can make a living, but you've, you've got to just do the work, get the job done, do everything you can to learn how, how to write, how to craft stories, how to be a mentor for, for others around you and, and pitch in, offer to help whenever you can. And be honest with your peers and your, your superiors about how to achieve the goals you want. Shirley, you've had a hell of a career. I want to thank you for, for taking us along on the ride. And I'm really looking forward to reading that book or watching that movie about whatever the hell happened in Winnipeg. 
I look forward to you seeing that movie one day. <laughs> this has been the Off Mic Podcast, brought to you by Pippin Technical. Tune in next week for more great stories from more great broadcasters. Follow the show on social media. Search Off Mic Podcast on Facebook or on Twitter and tell us who you want to hear on the show. I'm Drew Dalby. Thanks for listening.